everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. You're here today with I Need No Name and Samrin. Bayern Munich has a big week coming up, as y'all already know. So, in how's it going? Well, it's going decently well because, first of all, it was my birthday earlier this week, and my Happy exams. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And my exams just ended. So I have about a month of relative freedom. At least I can watch the Bayern versus PSG game in peace. Although not too much peace because it is a bit of a stressful game, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Last time, I don't know how I got through it. And the Champions League final, like, it took a lot to last the Champions League final. So, in are you looking ahead to the PSG game? with trepidation or are you feeling more positive at least compared to how Bayern returned in the first few games in the Bundesliga and now? Well, first of all, in those first few games in the Bundesliga, we did not have Thomas Muller, which is, (laughs) as you might know, the effective apocalypse for someone like me who basically worships the ground that Muller walks on. Now we have a situation where Thomas Muller might miss the game versus PSG. We don't know yet. It's very unlikely, based on what we heard from the post-match presentation against Bochum. But Muller did say that he was subbed off at halftime due to a mild calf discomfort. And the last time that happened, we were told that it was not going to be a big deal. But Muller missed the rest of the hindrance. He was subbed off early against Victoria Pilsen. And then he just did not play again all the way until the World Cup. So based on that, you never know what might happen. Muller is 33 now. He's not as bulletproof as he used to be. Meanwhile, I literally just wrote this up for BFW. It seems that Kylian Mbappe is back in partial team training. He is already running on the pitch somehow. This guy is like the Terminator. How did he come back already from an injury that usually takes three weeks to heal? It's not even been two, four weeks yet. He's back and he's running and he's also taking part in partial training. And Meanwhile, Messi is also set to feature, almost certainly from the start. And the same goes for Verratti, who also had some kind of issue, which kept him out against Monaco. So based on all of that, like, and all the injuries that Bayern have in addition to that, I'm not feeling good about this one. And also, I just have to say that whenever I have been positive in the past, we have gotten absolutely smashed. So even if I were feeling good about this one, I would suppress those feelings because I do not believe in being positive. Way to anti-jinx things. Yeah. And so I just want to pick up the messy point. I heard that because you wrote this up, you definitely know about, more about this than me, that he had a hamstring injury and that usually takes three weeks. And you think he'll feature from the start? Yeah. According to the story that I saw on Le Parisien, he apparently took part in individual training. And the reason he was not featuring against Monaco is so that he could be ready against Bayern Munich. Like the injury he got, the hamstring injury was already sustained about one and a half weeks ago or something like that by now. So it is perfectly plausible for him if it was a very minor hamstring injury, like a strain, which in medical terms is just a very, very small tear. If it is that, then it's perfectly plausible for him to recover in time for the Bayern Munich game. Now, whether or not he will be playing at 100%, whether or not that'll be the case, that is up to the coaches and him. But it is most likely that he will feature because just think about it. Like if you have someone, if you have Leo Messi, even at what, 80% or 70%, Messi is still probably the best player in the world. So you're going to risk him. I wonder how much not being match fit will impact both him 
and Mbappe. And no matter how young you are, if you're not match fit, you're not going to go the full 90 and even 45 minutes may be a hassle. But from where I'm standing, regardless of whether Messi and Mbappe are in the lineup, and it makes a big difference, of course, Julian Nagelsmann needs to set up a winning team here. So I want to ask you in... What do you think is a winning lineup for Bayern here, or the best possible lineup with all the injuries in mind that Bayern can throw out against PSG? Well, it, it's kind of difficult because you have the first question that you need to answer is, do you stick with the back three that we have seen debuted against Mainz? Just just keep in mind that we did not use a back three all season until suddenly it came out against Mainz and we saw a good amount of success with it. Do we use that or do we go back to the standard back four setup? Because now that Goretzka is back, we can field a dual pivot again. And since Marco Verratti is not going to be injured, that is a big consideration in this. We may need both midfielders to stop PSG from dominating central midfield. Because if you'd let the midfield get dominated, that gives service to their front three attackers. And when their front three attackers get any kind of service, that is game over because they by themselves, I like Upa, I like um, Dilek, I like, okay, I don't like Pavard, but even then, as good as they are, they're not going to st- uh, stop Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, right? And even if it's just two of those guys, they're not going to stop them outright unless we start from the midfield, the defending starts from the midfield, right? So, I think there is a good argument in favor of a 4-2-3-1. But I have a feeling, and you tell me if this feeling is based in reality or not, that Nagelsmann is definitely going to go with a 3-1-4-2 or 3-5-2 that we have been seeing recently. And it's just based on recent games and recent form. You know, I think he will go with the back three. I I, Nagelsmann, from the get-go, at Bayern has wanted a back three. He has reverted to a back four when we've gotten into trouble. And this time he used a back three to kind of dig us out of trouble. That Mainz game was the first good game that we had this entire calendar year. So my other question is, if you go with the back four, the right back slot, there's no Mazraoui. So you can go with Pavar, you can go with Stanisic, you can go with Cancelo. I think Cancelo used to play right back at Man City. The issue that you run into if you do that is Cancelo doesn't defend all that much. That is my understanding. I have a friend who's a City supporter. I asked him, he said, that's a problem with Cancelo. That apparently when Man City played PSG in, uh, I think it was the year, I think this was last season in the semifinals, Cancelo got absolutely cooked by Mbappe and he had to be taken off and replaced so that after that, Man City had a little more stability in the lineup and managed to reverse the tide and eventually win the tie. So that's a big question mark to have in the back four. Now with the back three, do I think Pava, Upa and Delict can hold out? No, I don't. I like Delict. I like Mpomecano quite a lot. He's had a very good season with, you know, the occasional things happen. This used to happen with Boateng too, but he's had a very good season to date. Arguably one of the, one of the if not the Bundesliga's best defender this season. And then you have Pavar, who's who's been pretty good in a back three. But I'm I like you have not been very convinced by Pavar all season long. And I can also see how our midfield gets overrun with a single pivot. Because Kimmich has shown himself to not be very press resistant. Kimmich has shown himself to be a liability at times. He doesn't he doesn't hold out as a single pivot. So I think 
think you go with the four, but Nagelsmann will probably go with the three. So let's say Nagelsmann goes with the three in. Where do you put, or or the four? Let's just play devil's advocate for a second. Where do you put Cancelo in a four? Where do you put him in a three? Well, I think he stays in the same position, which is right back or right wing back. Because fundamentally, I think that the idea that Cancelo doesn't defend is rooted in reality. I have seen Man City games and he's not really much of a defender. And that's, in fact, the reason why Juventus got rid of him in the beginning, because he did not defend. And that's a club that is all about defending. But I believe that his value added to Bayern Munich from an offensive pressure standpoint is just too invaluable for us to pass up just in the sense of we can pin PSG back and we have a much higher chance of scoring. I don't think that Cancelo, you can really play him as a right winger because, look, he does have all the qualities needed, but I think that he is not quite as, what should I say, defensively stable as some of our existing right wingers, which is a weird thing to say, considering that he's technically the more defensive player. But also on top of that, we don't really play with a traditional cross from the right right winger. We play with inverted right wingers. So it would also be a tactical mismatch and the kind of change that you would not want to make right before a big game. I would believe that if you want to have a game with the least amount of changes to the established formula, then Cancelo would have to play as a right back or right wing back. Okay, that that makes sense to me. Let's say let's go with the three at the back because I think that is pretty much what's going, going to happen with Delict Upamecano and Pavar. Who would you put in midfield? Would you go? How how would your midfield be structured first of all? And well, who would look, play there? Um, I'm I'm 99 sure that Kimmich is going to play. Right, there is no way because Nagelsmann and Kimmich they are tied at the hip. They are the power couple of this coaching session. So, like, it's right. going to be Kimmich. Whereas, I think based on what we saw against, well, it is Bochum, right? Bochum is not that good a team. But based on what we saw against Bochum, there is a good argument to be made for playing Goretzka in the pivot. I think he did a really good job against Bochum. And if, for example, we see either Kimmich or maybe Mozilla or someone getting overwhelmed, there may be an argument for subbing on Goretzka to just stabilize things. And there is precedent for this because if you remember the first game against Barcelona at the Allianz Arena this season, we were getting absolutely dominated in midfield when we had Kimmich and Sabitzer versus Pedri, Gavi and Busquets. Then in the second half, Nagelsmann subbed Sabitzer off for Goretzka and that added physicality that Goretzka brought to the midfield, managed to stabilize things enough for Bayern Munich to suddenly start putting more pressure on Barcelona, getting two goals and eventually taking the win, even though it wasn't comfortable at all. So based on that, I think that Goretzka is not going to start, but he is going to be a very key, how should I say, a very key tool for winning this game in case we start poorly, but not so poorly that we completely go out of it within the first 45 minutes. Because... Like, there is a limit to how much Goretzka can influence the game as a sub. He's not going to overturn something like a 2-0 or 1-0 deficit. He's going to change the game if it's finely poised on a knife edge at 0-0. But otherwise, I don't see him making that sort of impact. What I see is a pseudo three-man midfield composed of Joshua Kimmich and Leroy Sané and Jamal Musiala in front of him. And I'm just concerned with them losing the ball. Recently, they've been very, very how should I say, wasteful in possession. And 
the only saving grace here is that PSG are not an elite pressing unit, so they may have a little bit more space on that front. But even so, it concerns me them losing the ball because Marco Verratti, despite PSG's reputation as not being a decent pressing unit, Verratti is an absolute bulldog when it comes to pressing. He's better than any of our midfielders in that regard. So based on that, he could be a very, very dangerous asset for PSG if he plays from the start. I should remind people that in the Champions League final that we won, one of the reasons that we managed to dominate them in midfield is because, first of all, we had Thiago Alcantara playing in midfield that final for us, and he was arguably one of the best players of the final, him and Manuel Neuer, and Marco Verratti did not play. He was injured. So because of that, that's a big deal, in my opinion. The other option would be, I guess, Goretzka and Kimmich pivot with a back four. Obviously, there are concerns with that, but, you know, I, I think that Nagelsmann is going to go with this. You mean with the back three? Yeah, back three and the three, the three, yeah. Okay. So I think not having Goretzka is a very risky approach. And trying to have both Kimmich and Goretzka in the setup that you're mentioning is is kind of unwieldy, like you mentioned, because you can't really fit them both in. But maybe there is a way around it where we can have like a hybrid 3-4 in the back with Alfonso Davies, like occasionally joining the midfield. But I can see where you're coming from. And I do think Nagelsmann will go with that. So I think the point is mood. I just feel Goretzka adds so much muscle and with Verratti in there. We're going to need him. And I really do believe that if it's Kimmich left out there to fend for himself, which could happen, we're going to be in big trouble by halftime. If, let's say, by some miracle, Mbappe and Messi start. it's. I think that Kimmich is in need of a big performance. I think he's been underperforming all season long. Like He has not had those very excellent performances that we used to see out of him maybe one, one and a half years ago. I don't know if it's because he's playing too much or if he's just just getting a little bit muddled in his role because his role keeps on changing. Sometimes he's a defensive-minded six. Sometimes he's more of a box-to-box. It's just like a different role sometimes. And because of that, he doesn't really have that kind of continuity that he enjoyed maybe back in 2020. But like Kimmich, he has been a bit disappointing. And because of that, I think that this is the game that he will need to come up big if he wants to you know, lay the claim on that captaincy spot that he seems to want, or at least the Bayern Munich media seems to be ready to give him. I don't know if it's just me, but I think that Kimmich is going to be the key to this game. It really does rest with him, this entire this entire first leg. But he's, his performances to date, even I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but even his attitude, I just, you know, this this is a story in the media, the whole thing about him wanting to be captain. Desire is great. It's also disrespectful toward the people who are ahead of you in the pecking order. Nora and Muller have been around for a long time. So I just, I don't like this look on Kimmich. It is important to have passion and desire as a player. It is also important to have respect. And we know that Kimmich doesn't like to be benched. We know that even for a game that's not important, we know Kimmich likes to play every game. And last game against Bochum was an enforced absence. But even even the red card that led to it, the, you can argue that the second yellow was questionable, but the first one was not. So he looks like a player who makes decisions sometimes because he's tired and he's not thinking straight. So uh, maybe the rest will do him good. 
and we're going to May, see what happens. We really need him to keep his head because I, I have not mentioned yeah. it yet, but Michael Oliver is going to be the referee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I hate that guy so much. I think he's better. I think he's better than Anthony Taylor. Like he's bad, he, but but that's like. I don't know that. That's like saying that being shot is better than drowning. Like, oh, oh sure, man. but it's still an English referee. I, I just hate these English referees. And because the EPL teams keep getting so many teams into the round of 16, we get stuck with an English referee every single time. Last season, too, we got Michael Oliver in the first leg versus Salzburg that we drew 1-1. One, one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I'm sure yeah. you've heard in about two decisions during this weekend in the Premier League, one of which could really impact oh, the, the Arsenal, title race. The Arsenal decision? Yes, or... where they did not even check for yeah. offside. Yeah, that that was... That, just, the, these kinds of things really just keep happening in the Premier League, right? It's just, it, you don't see... Every week. These, you don't see these kinds of high-profile blunders. Like, I'm not going to say that German refs are perfect by any means, but even mm-hmm. Felix Weyer, who is... <laughs> terrible right. and who has right. a suspect reputation even him i would take him over any english referee any day of the week but unfortunately the rules are the rules and um you just love giving us these english refs i hate these guys but maybe hopefully since they're english they'll hate the french more <laughs> <laughs> because if they don't because you think about how psg play and this is something that I will just point out about PSG. I pointed out before, yeah. they don't play like an English or a German team. They play a lot like a Spanish team, don't they? They have that dark arts in them. They love to play act. They love to dive. They like to complain to the referee. They like to do all that kind of stuff. It's really, it's really, how should I say it? They like to play dirty. So because of that, you need a referee to control the game. Otherwise, anything might happen. So I'm not looking forward to Michael Oliver's refereeing. And I'm not looking forward to hothead Kimmich getting into verbal fights with Michael Oliver. That is not something that I want to see. Same. Do yeah. you know if uh, Neymar is fit to play? Neymar is fit to play. He's the only one oh, that is boy. 100% fit to play. Like He's not actually at 100%. As far as I know, he's actually playing through an injury. So he's not actually playing at 100%, but he is playing. And that's actually... Given you asked about Neymar, I'm going to ask you something. It's interesting Mm -hmm. because right now, I think the main question on our lineup, because the rest of the lineup kind of chooses itself, right? You obviously play Thomas Muller, you play Chupa Moting, but do you play Alfonso Davies or Kingsley Coman on the left-hand side? Oh, oh, man. I go Coman here. I've been, yeah, I've been so impressed with him lately. But in general, I'm always impressed with Coman because his defensive prowess, his willingness to track back, he is a hundred percent he's a hundred percent a team player. His offensive output lately, that's always been the kind of tiny question mark with Coman. Is he going to make the right decision when he goes to the byline? Is he going to, you know, is he going to cross when he needs to cross and shoot when he needs to shoot rather than doing it the other way around? I think his decision-making has improved. Also, the fact that this is PSG, this is the club where he kind of came up. This is the club against whom he scored a Champions League goal. I feel like with with a game, with a game like football, these kinds of things mentally do impact a player. If you know you have a good track record against a team, and if you came up somewhere, you're going to be more motivated to go out and do well against them. But even without the motivation factor, I think... Davies this season has been a little bit less consistent than he has been in previous seasons. Although Nagelsmann resting both him and Coman 
makes me question, is he going to find a way to put both of them in the lineup? Maybe throw Pavard out. Oh, that would be very risky. And have Davies in the back in a weird kind of formation. Who knows? It also makes me think if Nagelsmann was actually thinking about going with a back four. So, but just to stick to your point, it's a very tough call. But I also remember in the Champions League final, when we played with four at the back, Davies was the one who had the toughest time. Although that was kind of his first full season as a pro with us. I am just based on current form. I'm leaning Coman here. How about you? Well, I'm going to go against that and say, I'm going to go with Davies because the way I see it, Coman, he would be valuable against PSG as a super sub and not a super sub on the left, but a super sub on the right for Joao Cancelo. I'm just going to explain this a little bit because I don't think Coman is as effective on the left as he is on the right. I think Alfonso Davies is actually the better player on that side. That's why. And also on top of that, I think that Alfonso Davies has slightly better chemistry with Jamal Muziala. And that could really play into how Bayern Munich breaks down PSG in the end. I don't think that PSG have a very solid defensive unit, but in the Champions League, fine margins can make the difference. And I think that Davies just has that slight edge over Coman in that particular regard because he is always more aware of how and when to pass and where to pass it to and whom to pass it to than Kingsley Coman is. Kingsley Coman, I think, is better at shooting. I think he's better at getting past his man. He has that experience with him. And in fact, I would even say that Coman is better at the back when he is in 1v1 dueling situations, but is unable to use his pace, whereas Davies relies on his pace and physicality a lot. Despite that, I think that Davies being an option on the left is the better choice for Bayern Munich. I think he matches up better, especially now that Di Maria does not play for PSG anymore. In our previous meetings against PSG, Davies always got handled by Di Maria, and Di Maria was always the kind of player that Davies struggles with, the kind of really tricky, kind of skillful player that Davies can't just stop with easily with his pace. But now that they don't have him anymore, I think that it's more, how should I say it? It's more, it makes more sense to have Davies there. And the other thing that I should just point out is that behind Davies, who is the left center back in a back three formation or even in the back four formation, who's going to be the left center back? It's Delict. And Delict is slow. So we're going to need that little bit of recovery pace and a little bit of recovery time that Davies can offer that you don't get as much with Coman because he's more of an offensive-oriented player. That is my rationale for starting Davies over Coman. Now, I know that Coman is the more, how should I say, the player in form compared to Davies right now, but I would say that this is a case of profiles rather than form, and I would start Davies instead. I can definitely see that argument. And I want I want to ask you, do you see Leroy Sané starting this game 100 percent? Um, I I think he has to. Right. Like the only yeah. case I can see him not starting the game. No, even in a back four setup, I think he starts the game because like, look, the only case where I can see him not starting the game is if he's injured. Because he has not had, I think, goal or assist in the last few games. But that doesn't mean he hasn't been involved. He has been one of our most influential players in the build-up, in the link-up. And I will also add that he makes someone like Jamal Muziala. He allows Muziala to play with more freedom, same way that Muller does. And I value that in a player above just raw goals and assist numbers. There is also the fact that 
Sonny did not play that well in his last outing against PSG. Some people, in fact, blamed him for that, you know, the loss that we suffered under Flick. But I think this is a good chance for him to make that right. And I think that Nagelsmann seems to trust him and the role that he's given him. And because of that, I don't think there's any chance that Sonny gets benched. I think there's a higher chance that, makes me sad to say this, but I think there's a higher chance that Muller gets benched than Sonny, which kind of is more of my cond- condemnation of how the coach uses Aziz Muller rather than telling you how good Sonny is. But I'm just saying Sonny does not get benched in any scenario. You know, um, this I was reading something that Chuck wrote last night, and he said that his theory is that Nagelsmann was working Muller into match fitness. I don't buy it either. But... Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I'm but 99% I hope that was that. sure. Yeah, I, that's 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 wishful thinking. I'm 99% sure that Muller was being phased out. And then just like last time, the results and performances completely dropped straight to the floor. And then Nagelsmann was forced to bring Muller back. And that too in a weirdly compromised 4-1, 4-1 system where Jamal Muziala still plays in the middle because apparently I am assumed that some promises were made to Jamal Muziala and some uh, ideas were floated because... There is a certain degree of compromise going on at Bayern Munich between the positions of Jamal Muziala and Thomas Muller. I think that the most effective setup would actually be having a 4-2-3-1 with Muller at his usual attacking midfield position and Muziala on the left wing. But that's not what we're getting. What we're getting right now is this weird back three. And I think 80% of the reason we're getting the back three is so that you can have Muziala, Muller, Sané and Chupo all on the pitch at the same time with adequate defensive cover in terms of just a number of defenders which i mean it is theoretically fine and it worked against Mainz, it worked against wolfsburg it worked against Bochum. but psg are not those three teams and they are not the best team in the world either we are definitely if we were to beat psg we would face much tougher teams in the champions league but they are a tough stern test a much sterner test than we have faced so far this season, except maybe Barcelona. I think I would rate Barcelona actually this season higher than PSG, even though we beat Barcelona twice and sent them to the Europa League. But just based on that, I would say that, yeah, I think that there is just a lot going on here. And it's kind of weird to me that we are this far into the season. And I have the feeling that Nagelsmann has not actually chosen or decided on his best 11 for games. You know, I think he had he had some kind of an idea before we hit the World Cup break, and then he came back and he seemed to have forgotten all those ideas and started from yeah. zero yeah, again. I think basically. he was kind of influenced by the World Cup, where he saw like Muller not playing that well in the striker role and Muziala um, playing so well in the attacking midfield role, and he decided, yeah, okay, let's go with this. Let's bench Muller for Chupo, have him <laughs> compete with Chupo for the striker spot, which is just so funny and all that kind of thing. And that's kind of the those are not just the reports that we got from the media, but that's literally what we saw in the first two games and also in the friendly against RB Salzburg that we drew for all. That it was there was no Muller in the lineup. It was Muziala in the attacking midfield spot. So there was a plan, and that plan, because of the bad results at the beginning, it got thrown out the window, and we have started back from square one, which keeps happening with Nagelsmann, right? Yeah, again and again and again. I want to ask you one last question on the on Muller. If he does not play, who comes in for him? Uh, I think if he doesn't play, then Goretzka. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, because do we change about, the formation I, I or say, no? Uh, I think we change the formation. Make it uh. Um, I think you put Muziala behind 
what should I say? You put Muziala behind Chupo and you have Coman and no wait, you have Sunny and Coman on the wings, Kimmich and I'm missing. Wait, what am I saying? Yeah, Kimmich and Goretzka midfielders and like yeah, something like that. Some 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 kind of formation. I'll, I'll you ask me this in the comments and I'll like draw a diagram or something because but it'll be something <laughs> like that. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Actually, I I we I think we really do need to see Muller play in this one, especially if it is just to manage Kimmich's behavior. We really need Muller on this one. Yep, I agree. So speaking of Nagelsmann, since we did touch on the fact that Nagelsmann is, you know, kind of going in circles slightly at Bayern Munich, how important is this game for him as a coach? Like, how important is this game in terms of his future career at Bayern Munich? What happens to him? For example, if he were to lose this particular game, not just the whole tie, but just this game. So right away in the pressure on Nagelsmann just skyrockets. If he's not already under a lot of pressure, he will be after this game. I think in all my years watching this team, I have never seen a coach so vocally receive the backing of the Bayern hierarchy. You know, Jupp Heynckes received backing after the disaster that was 2012, and you can hardly blame Jupp Heynckes for it. But this was a guy who was Uli Hoeneß's friend, who had already been sacked by Bayern previously, who had a long history with the club. So Nagelsmann is an exception in this case. Now, it's not just, I know we're, we're sticking to this game, but after this, he has Gladbach and then he has Union. So there's like a lot going on here. But this is the best time, arguably, to play PSG. Galtier is kind of lost right now. PSG's had a terrible run of form since coming back into Liga after the break. Mbappe is not 100%. Messi is not 100%. Neymar is playing through an injury. I think Sergio Ramos is out for this tie. So Nagelsmann has a chance to do well here. And I think if he doesn't, the board will see this as a major disappointment, especially after what happened with Villarreal last season, because that Every time that we enter the Champions League knockouts with Nagelsmann, that tie will loom large over his head. Even the Salzburg tie was not very convincing. The first leg, and particularly the first leg, the second leg was very convincing, but only also because Luck and Lewandowski combined made for very favorable results in that game in the first half. So this is a make or break tie for Nagelsmann and this game if you don't start off right in this game, if you're already down 3-0 from the first leg, you're not really going to be reversing it in the second. Like it happens, but the odds are not that high and you're not exactly around with it. So the other thing I want to add here is I believe I read probably on BFW that Nagelsmann's contract stipulations change once we hit 1st of July. Basically, it becomes easier to sack him in the fi in financial terms. So... I think the board will be assessing this tie very carefully. They're going to say, we've given you everything you've wanted. We've let you, well, pretty much. We've let you make the decisions. We've stood by you through thick and thin. And you haven't delivered results. And Bayern, no matter what, has not always had patience for coaches. Deliver results or you're shown the door has been the way at Bayern. Flick, despite all his successes, Due to his disagreements with Salihamidzic, 
could not last at the job, did not last at the job. Nagelsmann's coming into the team off of a guy who was immensely successful. And even when we went out to PSG, we went out on the Wiggles rule, which no longer exists. And we played with like, I think we had like 13 players available for the second leg. Most of the team was out and we still put up a decent fight. And the first leg, we should have arguably won like 6-3 or something. And it was just inefficiency that did us in. I think we might have set like a Champions League record of some sorts in terms of shots on target in that game. But overall, it's a make or break game for me. And especially if he somehow loses this and then goes and loses to Gladbach. Oh, boy. So well, he, he's going to yeah. lose to Gladbach, right? <laughs> I mean, have you um, seen Gladbach lately? Yeah, they, they lost to Hertha. So that, that definitely means they'll win against Bayern. <laughs> and drew against Schalke last week. They have yeah, no that... plan, no order, nothing. That seems like a perfect recipe to beat Bayern. I mean, sure. Nagelsmann's actually never beaten Gladbach. Never. And I he's mean, played Gladbach more often than most Bayern coaches in friendlies and cup draws. Honestly, oh. at this point, I, I've given up on Gladbach. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm glad Gladbach don't play in the Champions League because then we would never be able to win the competition. But oh, the thing God. is that, like, I get it. And I get your point about Nagelsmann. I just remember how it was for Niko Kovac. He went out in the Champions League against Liverpool, right? And that Liverpool was the best team in Europe that year. And Kovac had to do it without guys like Kimmich and Muller in the second leg. And he even got a decent result at Anfield. So despite that, that did not help him in the next season when results started dropping and, you know, he immediately got sacked. Nagelsmann has had several periods of games where the results just have not been good and consistently not good. How many times have we seen Bayern draw three games, four games in a row in this season itself? Like two, three times. How many times has it happened in any season? Not many. We've only lost once, which is to Augsburg. But a number of times we've dropped points for needless reasons. To be fair, it did not happen in the Champions League. But number of times we've dropped points for needless reasons. The number of times we just played poorly at a long stretch. That counts against him in my opinion and because of the VRL game it's going to be difficult for him to come back if he doesn't get the result I think that there has been a certain reckoning at the club when we first went out to VRL people said that it was disappointing but they did not say anything more than that they just gave the credit to VRL since then the narrative has shifted a little everyone at the club now except Nagelsmann himself acknowledges that the VRL defeat was a major failure for a club of Bayern Munich stature. And because of that, we need to do better. Now, going out to a team like PSG, when realistically, despite, like, people will bring this up, we do have injuries. We have Lucas Hernandez out injured. We have Manuel Neuer out injured. We have Nusser Matsraoui out injured, right? These are very, very big injuries. Oh yeah, Sadio Mane as well. So these are very big absences that would probably sink a lesser club. But despite that, if you just look at the tie in an objective sense, PSG have their problems. They have been going through a really poor run of form. Christophe Galtier does not seem like the best coach and he's nowhere near as experienced as Nagelsmann at this level. Because of that, like Nagelsmann has the momentum coming into this. He has things going for him. Therefore, logically, he needs to win. Right. There's no other there's no other option for him. I don't see him surviving beyond this season if he can't win this game versus PSG and also not get past. Like theoretically, he could lose this game one nil and then win the next leg two two nil and then go and win 
the Champions League, in which case no one would care. But given our situation in the league, there is a genuine chance of us not winning the league this year, I think, more so than any other season. And given what happened last year with VRL, yeah, Nagelsmann, it's absolutely crucial. I think so. And just looking at the league, Union Berlin is not letting up anytime soon. And Leipzig might be slipping here, here and there, but they're contenders but as are Dortmund. Dortmund as well. Dortmund yeah. suddenly, they have not lost a game. In, in fact, they have five not dropped five. Points. Five mm-hmm. out of five. That's amazing for a team like Dortmund. Terzic fall. It's just, it's just vibes, right? There's no, there's, <laughs> it's literally it's just, just vibes. It's literally just vibes. There's no tactics whatsoever. But which is yeah. better than which is better than their Champions League opponents in Chelsea, which don't even have they don't even have vibes. So no, absolutely. Based not. on that, based on that, I'm gonna say Chelsea is gonna be in three one. But um, <laughs> just just to get back on topic. So because of that, I think the Nagelsmann really like this is it. This he has a five-year contract, but this is it for him. This is the moment of reckoning, and it's not like the last moment of reckoning because if he gets through this, and next round we get something like Man City or Real Madrid or Liverpool or whatever, right? Whatever team we get, he will still be expected to beat them as well. So beating PSG is not going to make his situation more comfortable, but losing to PSG is going to make his situation untenable. If I'm not wrong, if I'm being too harsh, but I think I'm not. I think you're right. I think if it was any other coach other than Nagelsmann, who Bayern has been short with and not given him pretty much everything that he really wants, Flick, for example, if Bayern goes through, let's say, somehow make you through round of 16 and then get a really tough draw, like you said, Man City or Real Madrid, etc. Nagelsmann will be expected to win that tie and other coaches, even if they lost, they might still be okay just because of how much the club has given to Nagelsmann, how much faith they have put in him, the length of his contract, the fees that they paid to obtain his services. So honestly, the fact that the club shelled out money to get Nagelsmann works against him at this point. I do see, I can see a situation where this ends badly. Nagelsmann sees out the season. Um, we somehow... You know, we, we win the Bundesliga by a point when Ion chases us till the very last day. And Nagelsmann manages to stay on for the first half of the following season. If and things, then, I think Byron, and then, yeah. Thomas Tuchel, the, ever pre- <laughs> the ever-present specter. At Bayern. Every every six months, we end up talking about what would Thomas Tuchel do at Bayern Munich? Every, every, I swear we have an this, interesting question. We do, we, do, we, do, we do end up with this discussion every six months, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been so, it's been happening for a very long time actually. Even when he was in his Dortmund days, hmm, would Tuchel work? All yeah, he was supposed marks. to be the successor to Pep, and then we got Ancelotti. At that point, okay, fine. And when Ancelotti was going to get sacked, there were talks about Tuchel. That yeah. was not decided. Then we got Upankis. Then when Upankis left, there were talks about Tuchel again. Didn't get him. <laughs> yeah. Then when Niko Kovac was sacked, <laughs> that's the only time we did not have to talk about Tuchel because he was at yeah. PSG. Right, yeah. and we couldn't get him for PSG. Then when yeah. Hansi Flick left, <laughs> Tuchel came up again. Yeah, and now, as 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 usual, we're back at the Tuchel question. He's like a specter haunting every single Bayern Munich coach. As long as he's available, no Bayern Munich coach is safe because he is the archetype of the coach that Bayern Munich can just call up and say, "Hey, you take over on Monday. Come show up to training." Yeah, yeah. so that is, I think, one of the main things about Nagelsmann is how much he's been backed, right? Because he's not just been backed in the transfer window. He's been backed in lieu of some very senior players yeah. in the dressing room. We are talking about 
Manuel Neuer, but not just Manuel Neuer. Think about his disagreements with Robert Lewandowski last season. They did exist, right? They didn't just come out of thin air when Lewandowski, the leaving rumors came about. That's just not when it came about. We had reports as early as the first six months of last season that Robert Lewandowski was not happy with the way Nagelsmann was setting up his tactics and the way other players were getting the ball too much in the box. Eventually, I think that was a factor in the bosses deciding to let Lewandowski go and let, you know, get whatever they could from Barcelona and go into the next season without a true striker replacement because they were showing their faith in the coach and his vision for the club. I think it's very telling that when Oliver Kahn spoke about his philosophy for selling Lewandowski, he said, when a team like Barcelona offers you that kind of money, you take it. You just don't keep him around. Whereas when Uli Hoeneß spoke about the same topic, he said, I would not have left Lewandowski go. And that kind of shows also the transition taking place at the board level at Bayern Munich, where the power is being transferred from player side to the coach's side via the new board, which is led by Kahn and Heiner and Brazo. I almost don't really like this approach. I don't think this approach has been around long enough for me to really yeah. make a great judgment for it's, it. It's, but... a, it's a new direction yeah. for Bayern Munich, right? It's more mm-hmm. of the, what do you see at EPL clubs where like the coach is an extremely integrated part of the setup and rather than just a guy who coaches the first team and makes sure that they win games, right? Because at EPL clubs, you think about Pep at, at, at even the successful ones, you think about Pep at Man City or Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. They are involved in every step. They're involved in recruitment. They're involved in like choosing who stays, choosing who goes. You look at something like Cancelo. Like Cancelo, he had a falling out with Pep. He was immediately out. That couldn't happen at Bayern Munich. But now that Nagelsmann is in charge and Nagelsmann calls the shots, I feel like that is, you know, on the cards now. That's kind of a thing that could happen. Other than Joshua Kimmich and Jamal Musiala, no player is untouchable right now, in my view. And this is why I think there has been concerted effort from Nagelsmann and the Bayern Munich bosses to phase out the old guard in favor of the new one. Hence the reason why I think that Bayern did not, like deliberately did not de-escalate the situation with Tepalovic and Neuer. They wanted it to escalate because it takes away a certain degree of power that Neuer has over the club. And the reason they did it is because now that they have Sommer, they have that safety net in the squad. They don't need necessarily rely on Neuer coming back next season. They can continue with summer and have breathing room for getting either Nubel back or buying a new keeper. Their only thorn in their plan is Thomas Muller, who stubbornly clings on to relevance and the lineup. But even Muller is going to eventually succumb to age and probably wait. He's going to be waited out by Nagelsmann if he gets the results. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic here. I think Nagelsmann and Bayern Munich are trying to transition to a stable system where you know, the coach and the board and everything work together in a harmonious fashion. And we're no longer that club that fires coaches at the drop of a hat, but instead works, allows them to work through their ups and downs and, you know, get consistent success that way. And I see the merits of it, but I'm concerned, you know, what if he gets it wrong? What if he's not the guy? I am very concerned too. I almost feel like Nagelsmann is the wrong guy to use to test out this approach because this point always sticks with me, but he's had he's had almost total control wherever he's been at, Hoffenheim and Leipzig. And he comes in expecting a similar level of control. Like as soon as Topalovic left, Nori could not um 
rather than Neuer. Nagelsmann could not wait to pick up the phone and hire his ex-Hoffenheim colleague. So Nagelsmann likes things done his way. But just also, I think the game that Bayern is playing here is really dangerous. Escalating the situation may have worked in their favor right now and taken away a certain degree of power, as you mentioned, away from Neuer. But nobody survives a dressing room mutiny. Nobody survives that. We've seen it happen at Bayern before. And there's a, I don't know if the Players' Council is still there, but the Players' Council used to play a powerful role in deciding what happens with the team moving forward. If, I think it was Jamal Musiala who advocated for Thomas Muller to come back into the team. There's still a lot of love in the dressing room for guys like Muller, for guys like Neuer. They also carry a lot of power in the press, in public. And public pressure can do wonders in Bavaria. So to me, Nagelsmann is playing a very dangerous game here. I heard he had talks with Neuer to calm the situation down. But if if he decides to strip Neuer of the captaincy and then hand it to Kimmich and skip Muller in the process, that leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And even if Jan Sommer stays on, manages to hold on to the goalkeeping position, and I, you will find very few people who are bigger fans of Jan Sommer than I am. In fact, it's weird watching Gladbach without him. Omlin is a very good keeper, by the way. But uh, even when Neuer comes back into the team, he will walk back with that same air of authority. Even if he never plays a minute for Bayern again, he has been captain for a while. He has been goalkeeper since the 2011 to 12 season. He has he has won everything there's to win. He's one of mm-hmm. the best keepers in history, right? Yeah. The sweeper keeper is something that Neuer introduced. Like there's a very interesting video on Tifa about it. And a lot of goalkeepers do credit the modern style of keeping to Neuer. He was the one who started this revolution in keeping. So I don't think Nagelsmann survives with this approach too long because eventually a dressing room filled with egos. Filled with big stars. We're not PSG, exactly. We, we, we're a team filled with team players. But that also means that if the team is not yielding results, we'll have a team full of very unhappy players who at some point might start blaming the coach. Well, I'm just going to preface this by saying, yes, I agree that we have had player power play a role in a lot of our former coaches' demise. But in this case, I would say that the player council has significantly changed even from very recently, as recently as 2019. Because think about who was on the player council in 2019. We had Lewandowski, Muller, Neuer, Alaba, and Kimmich. Right. Who do we have now? Now the player council looks completely different, even though it's only been three years. Oh, wait, four years since then. You have Lewandowski is gone. Neuer is effectively out of the picture until he returns from his injury. Muller is still there. Kimmich is still there. Kimmich is one of Nagelsmann's main supporters. He is Nagelsmann's main guy in the dressing room and on the pitch. He, everything goes through him. Then you have Goretzka, who has been added, I think, to the player council. And Goretzka and Kimmich are good friends. So they kind of go together on that front. And I believe the last player who was added, I'm not sure if he was added or if there was just discussions about him being added, but that I think was Kingsley Coman. So it's a completely different look in terms of the player council. It's not. It's no longer that group of Kingslayers that got rid of, like you had Iron Robin and Frank Ribery and Jerome Boateng and Matt Samuels. All those guys are gone now. So because of that, Nagelsmann may be in a unique position at Bayern Munich where the old guard is gone. 
mostly gone. Just Muller is there. And the new guard is seemingly his biggest supporter. That is why I think that both Nagelsmann and the Bayern Munich brass see this as a chance to, you know, make the transition away from these old guard and into the new era of Bayern Munich that they see. All of this, somehow, this being football and this being a sport, it all hinges on 90 minutes against PSG on Tuesday, where either several months of careful politicking and negotiations and this and that and everything else just comes down to 19 minutes of people kicking a football. And this could have several hundred millions of euros of repercussions and cost people their jobs. And it's just it's just a silly thing, isn't it? But it's it's really it's entertaining. And that's why I like it. But I'm worried. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. And I'm glad that there's a lot to talk about because that's what that's what FC Hollywood is, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is indeed 90 minutes, which we might kind of find funny. But I'm telling you, and if things don't go the right way, oh, boy, that is going to be no, look, man, I'm going to I'm going to be the first person to be putting him on blast if if we do not win, because you have to win. Come on. Like PSG could be the greatest team on planet Earth, but we are buying Munich. Right. right. We you know, are um, buying Munich. It's Mia San Mia. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, Serge Gnabry was asked uh, if Bayern is still in pole position to win the title. He said, yeah. The journalist goes like, why? He's like, because we're the best. We're the Straight best. up. And we are yeah. the best, right? I mean, most yeah. even most statistical models make us the best. So there are yeah. there, there must be empirical evidence somewhere, somehow, that we are the best. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Bayern Munich. We are Bayern Munich, and therefore we must win. And if we do not win, your head is on the chopping block. So, Nagelsmann, beware. I think <laughs> I think we should just wrap it up there because we have been talking for a while. Sure, but just one more thing. Nagelsmann mm-hmm. can't tell us that we didn't warn him because we did. So, all right. This was another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. You were here today with Samrin and In. Be sure to stay tuned to Bavarian Podcast Works for all of your up-to-date coverage in Bayern Munich and Germany. Follow us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works, at the Barrel Blog, at Tommy Adam 71 and more you can find in at BFW in. I hope you enjoyed listening. We're really looking forward to the upcoming week of games, not just the PSG one. I hope you are too. In any final thoughts? No one is looking forward to Gladbach except you, Samarin. <laughs> Fair enough. On that note, everyone take care and have a great night.